This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Laracasts. Laracasts is the de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels. Whether you're new to Laravel or you're hoping to level up your dev team, Laracasts was constructed entirely and exclusively for you. It's a lot like Netflix for your career. I think there's over 500 videos on there right now covering all sorts of topics from Laravel itself to different backend tools, front end frameworks like Vue.js and React, design patterns, how to get better at Git. There's something on there for everybody. So check it out if you have a chance at laracasts.com and thanks again to laracast for sponsoring full stack radio enjoy the show hey everyone welcome to another episode of the full stack radio podcast where i talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration i'm your host adam as always and today i'm here with evan Yu, the creator of Vue.js. hey evan hi there for anyone who doesn't know you do you mind just giving kind of a bit about your background and stuff like that sure um so i'm currently a full-time employee at meteor uh, so I work on the Meteor framework, and in my spare time, I work on Vue.js. Um, so I've been, I've been working on Vue.js for almost two years now. So it started uh, back when I was still at Google. So, I, um, so prior to Meteor, I was at Google Creative Lab as a, um, doing experimental UI projects. So that's where uh, Vue was originated from, and it just carried on. That's awesome. What what is an experimental UI project like? What sort of stuff are you doing? So Creative Lab does uh, a mixture of things. It uh, it did like a bunch of marketing projects. It also did a lot of like internal sort of like we take on internal teams at Google as clients and we do like UI explorations for them. So a lot of them are quite uh, experimental. So. Uh, we did the UX and a bunch of stuff for Glass. We did explorations for the the iOS search app uh, and the Android new interfaces in, in a bunch of projects that we can't really talk about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, you went to, to Parsons School of Design, is that correct? Yeah, I went there for uh, Masters of Design. Master of Fine Arts in Design and Technology program. Interesting. So how does that tie into programming and stuff? Yeah, so um, so it's a pretty interesting program. So because my undergrad has basically nothing to do with programming, so um, I basically picked up um, ActionScript first, and then learned JavaScript by myself mostly. So so then I was like, hmm, I I like doing design. I like doing. I also like to write code to to build the things that I design. So I kind of want to you know. Um, so when I graduated from undergrad, I was. I wasn't really sure what I should do. So I was like, I, I'm looking for a program that sort of combined my two interests into one. So it turns out uh, the uh, the MFA DT program, as we call it, at Parsons was, uh, was a pretty good fit. So I went there. So yeah, there's uh, there was a lot of interesting things in the program. So people come from all types of backgrounds. Some people are already programmers. Some people are more like designers. And sort of um, everyone just... Um, come together and we sort of like mix all these uh, things we know to to just build creative stuff so so the program is pretty diverse so you can you can either choose to do a more like you know product oriented things like build actual products design apps or you can do more artistic stuff like you know just make art with code or things like that so were most of your classmates also into programming then uh yeah like well it's it's sort of required that you need to like pick up programming if you're you know, in the program. So very cool. So 
you mentioned uh, that you kind of started working on Vue.js when you were at Google. What what kind of prompted you to start building it in the first place? Like, what needs did you have that weren't being met by existing tools? Right. So, um, so you know, we we were building a lot of prototypes and experiments. So we need to sort of move really fast. So I personally, I felt like Angular provide a lot of uh, productivity in terms of a data-driven interface. Like you sort of use directive to decoratively describe what your UI should be. And you just, you know, focus on, focus on manipulating the state instead of doing imperative DOM manipulations, which is great. But at the same time, Angular brings in a lot of extra cruft. Like it, it's something that I just didn't need for the specific type of project that I was working on. Like, like I, I had to use dependency injection. I had to, you know, use Angular's module system to manage all my code. It just felt a lot of um, I could be much more productive if I just had the core benefits of, you know, data binding without having to, like, buy into all the extra stuff. So I was looking for like a lighter weight solution uh, in that aspect, and. Turns out that wasn't something like that. The, the closest match is a project called Reactive, uh, written by Rich Harris. So um, it was. It's also a great like source of inspiration for Vue. But at that time, Reactive was also pretty early stage, and it didn't have any sort of component system at that time. And some colleagues of mine used tried it in a project, and like without the ability to sort of you know nest components, it just fell apart when we we're trying to build more complex stuff with it. So so I was like, we, we need something like this, but we also need to be able to, you know, compose it to sort of form, uh, to build more complex interfaces. So uh, that's sort of the the origination of, of Vue, I guess. Um, so I started sort of investigating how data binding works and how, um, how to sort of build a component-based system around it. And yeah, that's that's basically how it started. Cool. One thing that I think would be interesting to talk about is um, I think the syntax and kind of the DSL for working uh, with Vue in your templates would feel very familiar to people coming from Angular, but there's a lot of criticism about how Angular does it with the dirty checking and stuff like that. Would you mind talking a bit about how Vue does that differently and why it's better? Right. So, um, <clears throat> so when I was uh, start when I started working on Vue, so I obviously learned a lot from Angular. I took the things I liked about Angular, but dirty checking wasn't one of them. So the problem with dirty checking is um, it's sort of brute force, right? So every time anything changes, you sort of just iterate through all the watchers and see if anything has changed. So I felt that while it is effective, but it's inherently problematic when you have a lot of watchers, right? It, your app just becomes slower and slower as it grows, and it's really hard to optimize around that. Um, on the other hand, there are more uh, purely dependency-based uh, systems, sort of like uh, Knockout. Uh, Knockout.js is one of those um, really great things that kind of got um, underrated a bit, I think. Like, Knockout has a really good dependency-based system. Like, you basically um, create observable values that sort of um, tracks the dependencies whenever you access them or mutate them. So let's say you have an expression, and you, in that expression, you are using the value from a few, like, uh, Knockout observables, and Knockout will keep track of these dependencies for you. And whenever one of those dependencies change, it would sort of reevaluate that expression. 
But the problem with knockout is um, this sort of observable object is like you have to sort of understand how it works. You have to create them explicitly, and the syntax for accessing and mutating them is you have to like basically be calling functions in JavaScript. So this has, um, in my opinion, it, this has two problems, right? The first is you are no longer working with plain JavaScript objects. So it's less intuitive. The syntax becomes awkward when you have a complex expression. And um, it, it sort of um, has problems when you're working with other libraries that expects to work on plain objects only. right? So I was like, um, is there a better way to do this? Is it possible to sort of, you know, provide plain object syntax with dependency tracking? And then I, um, then I realized you can actually do it with... Uh, the object define property method in ES5, uh, which basically allows you to convert a property into a getter and a setter. So when you're accessing the property, it implicitly calls this getter function for you. So inside that getter function, we have the opportunity to sort of do all the dependency tracking that's, that's, that we need. So that's what I ended up exploring. And turns out it works. Like it, it went through a bunch of iterations to, you know, get to the, the state of today, like I had a lot of like hacks and workarounds in the first, like in the first few iterations, but yeah, it just kind of works today. So, what were some of the trickiest pieces of that? Um, so for example, uh, like the first few not even implementations was assuming like we would, you know, uh, when you have multiple nested scopes, say like you're inside an iteration loop and you want to access an outer scope variable and all that, so um. Like the, the first few iterations basically was hard coding, like say, looking in the current scope, if this thing exists, then I would like recursively go up the scope chain to look for whether the parent scope have that property. It was just like quickly got hard to manage and maintain. So um, in the end, the, the smarter solution is just, you know, create nested scopes by using object.create so that the... Um, the new scope sort of using prototypo inheritance to inherit the parent scope. And you basically get all this implicit fallback handled by the JavaScript engine for you. Yeah, and uh, it actually also took me a while to actually realize like uh, I should just adopt knockouts depend like reactivity model in terms of tracking dependencies and stuff. Because the first few time I was just like totally trying to do my own thing. And because at that time, I didn't fully understand how a dependency tracking system would work. But later on, after I figured it out, I was like, oh, turns out it's actually pretty simple. And then there's just left a bunch of edge cases where uh, when you are, say, um, how do you deal with when people want to add a property to an object? How do you, how do you handle like uh, detecting array mutations, all that, right? So there's a lot of kinks, but um, it just sort of... I had to sort of use it, build it, use it, and discover problems and fix it, but uh, finally got to a state where most of the cases are covered. So Awesome. Yeah, I'd be interested in hearing more about actually how the dependency tracking works. Like, I played around um, a little bit with like some little some little demo projects just try try and like figure out exactly what causes things to get updated and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I have a an idea of how it works, but it'd be interesting to hear you kind of give an explanation of how that works in general. So say you have, um, you know, an expression in like a V show, uh, statement mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. uh, what happens so that view can keep track of everything that, you know, it needs to, um, to watch to update that expression. Sure. Um, so let's say, um, basically let's start with like a directive, right? So we have V show and V show would be bound to an expression, 
let's say it's just a property A, right? So um, what Vue does is it parses the expression and turns it into a function. So basically we're saying the value for this directive would be a function that returns the A property on the current view instance. So it's basically translated into return this.a. So when you when we create the view instance, we also uh, convert the um, its data object to become reactive. And the view instance will proxy all the properties on its data object. So when we access um, this.a inside a view instance, you're basically accessing the A property on that on the, on the raw data. And when you're doing that access, because it's already converted into a getter, we're invoking, invoking the getter function. So each directive has a corresponding watcher object. So this watcher object is responsible for keeping track of the, the dependencies. So when we evaluate the, every time we evaluate the, um, the expression of a watcher, we are basically calling all the getter func associated getter functions. So every getter function, Basically, all it does is um, when it gets accessed, it will push the associated dependency object into the subscribed list, into the dependency list of the watcher. So let's say you have a watcher with the expression A. When this watcher gets evaluated, the watcher's dependency array will get populated with a dependency, a, a dependency object that represents this A property. Does that make sense? Totally makes okay. sense. Yep. Right. So... Next time when you mutate the, the A property, when you say set this.A equals another value, um, this dependency object will basically notify the watcher, say, hey, I have changed. Here's the new value. So the watcher notes, oh, okay, I've changed. So I need to notify the, the associated directive, say you need to update, you need to re-render. So the directive will then get, up, get notified with the new value, and then it would call the directives update function to do the related DOM manipulations. Yeah, I noticed it's a, it seems really smart the way it works. Like, at first I was wondering if there was going to be edge cases where, you know, if some if some condition or some branch of a conditional isn't executed or something, would it still work down the road? And it, it seems to update itself as it goes and retract the dependencies every single time yep. um, it's, it's evaluated. So it's really cool. Um, so the, the, the features that you use, like the ES5 stuff that makes that possible, that's mm -hmm. uh, supported only in like IE9 and up, right? That's kind of like your cutoff? Yes. So why do you think like, Ember doesn't do the same thing. Like, I, I'm not sure what a browser's Ember supports, but I feel like it's probably similar. Like, I doubt they support IE8. Right. So, um, so it turns out in IE8, there is indeed object.define property, but it only works on DOM elements. So it doesn't work on plain JavaScript objects. And the, the awkward part is this feature is unshimmable. So if the engine doesn't support it, there's no way to simulate it. So there's no way um, Vue would work in IE8, basically, right? So it's a very clean cutoff. So if any framework claims they will support IE8, then basically they cannot use this feature. So I'm not really sure if that's the reason Ember doesn't do it, but I also think it's important because um, Ember dates back pretty, you know, to the pretty early days, and they they value keeping their API consistent very much, right? And the Ember object model is pretty central to like how everything works in Ember. So I, I'd assume like if they want to migrate to something completely based on you know getters and setters, it would mean pretty much a lot of uh, API disruptions. And I, I doubt they would be willing to do that, you know, because 
Ember team just values backwards compatibility very very much. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting about Vue, for me, I mostly work on the back end most of the time. And uh, I don't really do much work with like single page applications. And it seems like a lot of the popular JavaScript tooling and frameworks out there these days really expect you to be building like a single page app with like a separate API. This Ember mm-hmm. especially is like extremely opinionated in that way. It right. doesn't really work very well if you just want to like write a little bit of Ember inside an otherwise server-side rendered application. Vue, on the other hand, fits that niche like really, really, really nicely. Is that an intentional thing? Yeah, so so this is sort of intentional and i have come to realize like i've uh, accidentally fall, like made vue a really like what i call a progressive framework in that you can sort of start with something really small you um and just drop into an existing static page and it'll work but you can also you know pick more tools and libraries from the the set of like recommended set and you get a more powerful setup that allows you to build full-blown SPAs. And part of the reason is I really like, you know, small, well-scoped projects that doesn't try to do everything at once. And also because, you know, as I described, when I was started building Vue, I like I explicitly wanted something that's less opinionated, you know, that's easier to get up to speed with, easier to, you know, integrate with other other tools. So when I when I was building Vue.js core, yes, it is intentional that I limit the functionality uh, in Vue.js core so that it's uh, it's really just a view layer, and but it, it needs to do the view layer job really really well. So that like when you say uh, when you have an existing project and you just want a small part of that page to become interactive, you know you can just drop view in and you instantly get something going. So that's that's um, the most basic like sort of form of how you would get get started with Vue, I assume. And then uh, I realized like this actually doesn't prevent you from, you know, using it for something more ambitious, right? So the, the core idea is you want to build the core to be lean and extensible enough so that you can sort of, you know, augment it when you want to, but you're not forced to always use the whole thing. Yeah, I think like the only thing that kind of compares that's uh that has that's pretty popular anyways is react of course right mm-hmm. yeah what do you think makes Vue better than react in your opinion um so so in, first in terms of the uh you know the progressive framework thing i talked about i think uh Vue is even easier to just dropping and use because um when you say you just want to use react for a small thing right you still sort of need gsx Right, so you need to have the compilation tool chain, right? You, obviously, you wouldn't want to use the JSX transformer in production, so it's sort of, you know, so whenever you want to use React, you you just have to sort of have some sort of build setup in order to to author React components in a, in a somewhat reasonable way, because you don't want to you know manually write React element all over the place. Um, but Vue doesn't sort of force you to do that, right? You can even just write your Vue templates as real HTML, and you just mount some components on top of it, and it'll just work. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, I wouldn't say how it makes Vue better than React, but it's more like a, a you know development style preference, right? So in React, it's um, you you write your you describe your Vue as a render function of, that returns JSX elements. But the problem is that um, 
JSX often involves because it's real JavaScript, right? So it's 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 very expressive, but it's also easy to sort of abuse that expressiveness. So you when when you're writing a React render function, you're often led to you know mixing a lot of logic and ends up your render function becomes more like a real function rather than a you know a declaration of what your UI should be. You know, like it's less visual than templates. So when you're working with templates, like Although you are mixing a lot of you know directives and maybe JavaScript expressions inside a view template, like the 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 root of it is still just nested HTML. Like you know every view template is actually valid HTML. Like not valid per the actual spec, but it's like parsable HTML. Like it can actually be parsed by the browsers. So when you're writing a view template, you can still think in terms of HTML and CSS and how they work together, right? So it fits the mental model of how we we how we are you know attuned to work with on the web, because we've been working with HTML and CSS and JavaScript, and it would be great if we can author components and still sort of you know keep the separation between them uh, instead of you know tucking everything into JavaScript. So there are of, of course some benefits of tucking everything in JavaScript because there's like shared scope and all that, but I, I still feel like there's a like a, it's more or less a preference rather than a decisive sort of, you know, factor. So for people who are not that into JSX and not that into just putting everything in JavaScript, so Vue offers you this sort of, you know, it embraces what you're familiar with, right? It's still HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Awesome. Uh, are there any common mistakes that you see people make with Vue or, or maybe things where people need to change their way of thinking a little bit uh, to use Vue in a more idiomatic way? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, um, so a lot of people, especially those who are like really used to doing just DOM manipulations with jQuery, when they first um, migrate to Vue, they are still more or less just thinking of Vue as a um, just doing the simple templating, and they are just you know interpolating a piece of text here, a piece of text there, and when they are thinking about say handling interactions, say when the user clicks this button, I need to you know flip something or show something. Uh, they would they would sometimes fall back to the jQuery thinking like I would just add a event handler here and in the method I would use jQuery to find something you know attach a new piece of DOM in in here so that's how you are going back to the imperative way of handling the DOM yourself and that's exactly what all these data binding and React and all that try to you know prevent you from doing because. It's it's uh, it's tedious and error prone, right? So instead, you should sort of try to think in a data driven way. Think of your interface as just a mapping of your underlying state. So um, when you create a view instance, you you have this data object which basically essentially represents how the state of your application. And you write templates, and in the templates we use v like all these flow control structures like v if, v show, and v for to sort of describe how the DOM structure should map to the underlying state. If you describe that relationship correctly, then everything is set up, and, it, and when you change the state, everything will just work, right? So instead of, um, instead of appending a new piece of DOM, maybe you should just you know, use vif and just flip a single variable in your state, and everything will just, you know, the DOM will change accordingly. So that's, that's the one thing I sort of want to you know, get across to beginners because a lot of them tend to, you know, don't realize they, they should try to let the state drive their UI instead of, instead of maintaining it 
themselves. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, a question that I got from a friend of mine who wanted to know from you is, uh, if you were building a brand new app with Vue, what would kind of your tool set be um, as far as like build tools, like Webpack versus, you know, whatever else, or uh, what's kind of your stack of choice these days? So uh, if I were to build a full-blown SPA, I would probably go with Webpack. So a lot of you probably have used uh, Vueify with Browserify. And uh, so so I'm currently, Vue supports both Browserify and Webpack. But in the long term, I would lean towards Webpack because um, the, the loader API of Webpack is just uh, a bit more powerful. You know? Say when you use Webpack, you get uh, hot reloading out of the box. When you edit the component, it just changes. And it's a built-in API that I can, I can leverage inside, of, inside the view loader. But in Browserify, I had to sort of, you know, someone else has implemented a hot module replacement plugin for Browserify. But if they didn't do that, then it, just, it was simply impossible to implement inside a Browserify transform itself. And in addition, uh, when, I use, when you use Webpack, right? So the idiomatic setup pipes your templates and styles inside your view components through the CSS loader and HTML loader. So what these two loaders do is that they will parse all these static asset links inside your inside your markup in CSS. For example, when you are using you know a background image, you're using URL and link to a, a Im- static image somewhere, right? So what CSS loader can do is it'll extract all these links and interpret them as module dependencies. And what's great is then you get to sort of decide how you want to handle this file, right? So, so you can sort of treat these files as, as your source files. You can put the image inside your source folder, and then you can use a CSS Loader. A CSS Loader will then find it and treat it as a module dependency. Then you can use another loader to handle it called File Loader. So you can sort of um, automatically add uh, MD5 hash to the, to the eventual generated file name or you can decide how uh, your CSS should actually refer to this thing. So if the content of the file has changed, you should probably add you know, a different MD5 hash query to the link in your CSS. Or you might want to decide if this file is smaller than a certain threshold, I want to just inline it as base64. Right? So it gives you a really, really powerful, um, powerful way of, of working with static assets. And the best part is you can still sort of leverage this while you are using the single file view component format. So it sort of treats everything, including your view components, your JavaScript, and even your static files all as as a module system. And it's really powerful. So you are are able to achieve almost the same thing in Browserify, but uh, because of the way Browserify ecosystem works, it, it requires a lot more trial and error and picking the best you know community solution put them together but um, webpack the author of webpack has really thought through this like from the beginning and have provided all these idiomatic loaders for you to do that so i think that's really powerful and another ba- aspect of um webpack is it it's um you know the dev server is really nice so uh, yeah I, I think i've uh, i've talked a lot about why i think webpack would be the long-term winner so yeah that's that's more or less my personal opinion, though. Like, I, I still think, like, if uh, people are heavily invested into Browserify, they can find find ways to make that work, right? So, like, if you don't really think it's uh, you want to handle your 
static assets as module dependencies, then yeah, by all means, you can go with Browserify. Cool. Maybe a couple questions about a couple things that I've run into using Vue where I kind of felt like maybe I was doing something wrong and it would be interesting to hear uh, what you would do differently. Um, I find myself in situations sometimes where I have like uh, a complex expression in a Vue directive that I want to like extract and put it in a method or something somewhere so that I don't have such a, a long expression in, in the name. But I can't find any examples anywhere of anyone using like the methods section of a view component for this sort of thing. It's always for more like command sort of actions, like things that are going to change state or react to some sort of event. What would you do to organize the stuff that you have in your expressions? Right. So uh, I think that's basically what computed properties are for. So when you use a computed property, it's, it's essentially, um, I think it's pretty straightforward to basically convert all these complex expressions into a computed property. It's just, you can more or less think of it as a getter, right? And um, it also has all these like dependency tracking built in and it, and it feels more natural than using a method to do it because you are, you know, templates, you are directly referring to properties instead of, you know, calling something. I think the situation that's bit me is is when I I want to make a computed property, but it, it needs to, to take a parameter. I see. Like if I'm in a loop or something. Right, right. Yeah, so in those cases, I think it's perfectly fine to just use a method for it. Like, really, there's no, like, strong conventions preventing you from doing that because uh, Vue is pretty much unopinionated on how you should handle these situations. Because and yeah, and because of, of the reactivity tracking, it like it it would just work. Like you don't need really need to worry about any sort of difference in terms of how it would trigger changes or things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You ran a poll the other day on Twitter, I guess, asking people if they're mostly using Vue for uh, single page applications or if they're using just dropping in components into otherwise server side applications. What were the results of that, and what did you kind of take away from that? Uh, yeah, so turns out, I think it was uh, slightly in favor of non-SPAs, probably like 45 to 55-ish. And I think that makes sense because um, that's that's basically what I kind of want to see because I want to see people using Vue for different situations. And that's what Vue is best at, you know. Uh, it, it can be easily adapted to different type of projects. Like if you just need the Vue layer, just you can just use Vue Core. If you want to build a full-blown thing, then you you know add Vue Router, add Webpack, Vue Loader, and you get something more powerful. Uh, I think that's a that's a good sign, and I'm happy that people are using it for different things. Awesome. Uh, do you have anything planned for like the future of Vue? Anything exciting coming up, or any kind of goals or directions that you're planning on taking it in? Um, so at this stage, I'm mostly uh, trying to get 1.0 stabilized. Right, so we have we've had a few patch releases after 1.0, and I think um, judging on the amount of issues popping up every day, I think we've we've got to a pretty good place. So I think the next step would probably be um, focusing on the router. The router has been still still not 1.0 state. Uh, there could be some improvements, and you know, and I, I kind of want to you know improve the documentation of the router to provide more examples of you know doing advanced things like how you would do fine-grained control of navigation how you would uh, handle authentication some common patterns because uh, it, it feels like uh, when when people 
you know, less experienced people when they when they first pick a view and then they move on to the next stage where they try to build SPAs with it, they sometimes get lost because uh, there isn't so much learning materials out there yet. But I hope we can improve that. And the other thing is probably um, provide more guidance on you know structuring full blown SPAs on how to do how to handle you know uh, the the build setup with when you use Webpack. How would you link your code inside your components? How would you test your view components? And uh, yeah, all the recommended best practices of how to deal with these situations. Cool. Actually, that's an interesting question. Not, you, you said, you know, testing view components. That's something I've been thinking about a bit lately, but haven't actually gotten into trying myself. Um, I do a lot of testing and stuff on the back end, but not so much on the front end, especially when just using view as like... Um, a view layer sort of thing. What are kind of some of the best approaches for testing that stuff, the stuff that's reacting to DOM events and manipulating the DOM? Like, how do you go about um, getting test coverage for that stuff? Right. So um, so I think there are, when you are testing a front-end application, there are three types of testing, in my opinion. So the first is obvious end-to-end, where you, you actually like run the application, you would simulate user inputs and assert certain parts of your interface and all that. So uh, in that aspect, we probably would use something like uh, Selenium, something built on top of Selenium, right? Like, so there are, um, my personal recommendation is a library called Nightwatch, which provides a pretty smooth uh, testing interface for authoring end-to-end tests. So the other two are both in the unit testing category. The first is, Say you want to assert certain behaviors of a single component. So my uh, current uh, approach is I would use Webpack to just you know build this view component and load it on in using JSDOM. So I would sort of put it onto the the JSDOM's window object and then assert this component instance its behavior. Because you have JSDOM, you can sort of you can both assert the um, you can do like interface assertions, but it's not like compatibility related. It's just asserting that like that the the behavior and the DOM rendering mapping is correct. Basically, it's like all logical. Okay. What I've never used JS DOM before. Do you mind kind of explaining what that is a little bit more? Right. So, um, so JS DOM is sort of like uh, a project that like fully simulates the browser DOM API inside a Node environment. So when you use JSDOM, you don't actually need a browser. Like it's all inside a node process, but you, but your code, your code is actually running in node, but you have access to all the browser APIs and it's all sort of like, you know, fake, but it's spec compliant. Like I, it's a, it's a heroic effort. Like people actually like, basically they re-implemented the browser inside node. That's really cool. So if you're using that, then you could kind of just like make assertions about like what is in the DOM and what's not in the DOM based on the right. sort of actions and stuff that you take. Cool. Right. And the good part is, yeah, it's it's less uh, it's it's lighter weight than a real browser, so your tests will run faster, faster, and it's less reliant on your test environment, right? Because you know setting up real browsers sometimes in, in you know continuous integration services could be a pain. And the third part of uh, testing would be you know unit testing in real browsers, and. When you when we do that, I would recommend Karma, which is the the test runner by by the the Angular team actually. So 
Karma is a really great runner. Like basically, you are, you can author unit tests in either Jasmine or Mocha. They they have a lot of plugins and integrations with all sorts of stuff. It's a it's a bit complex to set up, but it's a really robust tool. So with Karma, what you can do is you write the same set of tests, and it will launch real browsers. Like you can you can launch Firefox, Chrome, Safari. All at the same time, it'll just like you know run all your tests and aggregate the results and report back to you. Cool. Maybe to close it off, any tips and tricks or anything interesting that you'd like to share about Vue for the listeners? Um, well, not really. I guess read the guide. Like uh, I think uh, I've basically I spent yeah I I did spend a lot of time on writing the guide for 1.0. I think uh, I really hope that it, it could serve as you know a pretty comprehensive you know, learning material for anyone who wants to pick up Vue. If you carefully read through the guide, you should be able to, uh, you know, just get, get get up to speed and start building something. Because I think the value of Vue is you can pick it up really fast and get productive. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, maybe that's a good place to uh, to start wrapping it up. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It was awesome talking to you and getting some of these questions answered. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really fun. So... Uh, anyone who's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 30. If you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that's always helpful. And thanks to Laracasts, as always, for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. They have actually lots and lots of really good Vue.js uh, tutorial lessons there that I highly recommend you check out if you're interested in Vue. So definitely check that out. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.